Father, I thank you. I thank you that you inspired songs like that. And that you are holy, holy, holy. I thank you. And when we hear your music, everything that happens this week, everything that is going on in our lives, everything that may have happened this morning, it, it goes away and we can focus on you. I thank you, Lord, that you are in control and that you speak loudly and that we can just do what you ask us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Billy, he suggested that I preach on Matthew 6, 7-14, through 14, which is the Lord's Prayer. And thank God he gave me some leadway on that. I'm not quite sure that he wanted me to go to Second Chronicles 6, chapter 7 through 14 there, but uh, I'm thankful that he gives me leadway. And if you could not tell him, that'd be great. I'm just joking. I know. I'm no way. No. No, me and Pastor Bill, we get along great, and, and he knows and he trusts me that when I preach on topics like this. But as we've gone to this series, this living as the church, we often come here every Sunday and we worship. And it's awesome. I mean, I love it, but that's only a part of what it looks like to live as the church. And this week, we're going to cover prayer. And if you came here this Sunday to hear a nice sermon, to feel good about yourself, and to go home, I mean, this is not your sermon. This is not going to be a seeker-friendly sermon. And prayer in this series is different than just laying out instructions step-by-step on how we should pray. It's my prayer that you leave here today evaluating what you've prayed for your entire life. And Pastor Bill, he wanted me to cover three topics. Number one, prayer is important. Number two, prayer is our connection to God, and I think you get it, and there you go, Pastor Bill, I addressed him. That way, if he's listening or for the next service, he, he knows that I was paying attention when he was talking to me. But number three... Number three really intrigued me. It was aligning our will, our desires with God's will. And I think this is the tough one. This is what is going to set our church apart, to really make a difference in our prayer life, to really make a difference in this world. If we're going to reach people, this is what I believe matters. And last week we clarified the church. And it can mean the universal church. Basically every believer throughout time and forever to come. And today's message is relevant to every believer. But this word church can also mean the body, this body, the ones that God has put together for this place in this time frame to reach out to this community in Wyoming and even throughout the world. And church can also mean this, this building. And today Solomon is going to give us direction as he dedicates this temple over 3000 years ago. So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles starting in chapter 6. And if you have your Bible, this is a great day to follow along because I'm going to paraphrase things as I go. I don't have time to read every single verse. I want you guys to really follow along with me. And I came about this text because so many people during these times, these times of turmoil, have asked me about 2 Chronicles 7.14. I mean, everything in our, in our country seems to be breaking down. We're confused. We're wondering, what is God doing right now in all these events? 
What is our role in times like these? How should we pray in times of economic and political and societal turmoil? 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Man, this text is so relevant. And I believe that we should pray these things. And I believe that this is truth. But, but I want to put it in context of, of Israel and Solomon's prayer to dedicate this temple. And I also want to put it in context of a greater land than just these United States of America. I want to see it bigger. I want to see a bigger picture than as we live this life as the church in our prayers. And David... Solomon's father, he desperately wanted to close up the tabernacle, this big tent where where God dwelled and and build God this, this huge, beautiful structure. And God commended David. But then he told him that you have shed too much blood and that your son will build the temple instead. And Solomon, he takes over as king and he starts to, to go to work to build this temple. And it takes seven years to build And only 180,000 men with 3,300 men leaning on um, shovels, supervising. I mean, 183,300 men to build this building. This is an amazing feat of engineering. And then it becomes the dwelling place of God on earth. And I believe that we can learn so much from Solomon's prayer of dedication And Solomon, he kneels down in front of everyone. And he lifts his hands high and he prays these words. 2 Chronicles 6.14 O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Our God never breaks His covenant. His promises are always fulfilled. God's love is steadfast. And I've said it before. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've heard this word chesed, and I can't hardly say it. As an American, it's more like Bach, this this CH sound. But this word is so important. It's used to describe God's love, which is indescribable. We so often we try to describe it with words like steadfast or persistent or unconditional or, or tenderness or kindness and, and mercy and, and, and love. But every one of these words is insufficient to describe God's love and His, His mercy for us. And all we have to do on our part is give our whole heart to God. Which is impossible. It seems so impossible God, He continually holds up His part of the covenant and we continually fail. That is without Jesus. You see, Jesus upholds our side of the covenant. And as the church, as the church, our prayers should always start with reverence, with awestruck wonder. Our God is unfathomable. Prayer is not a time to to take lightly, but a time to be in shock that we even get to speak to the Creator of everything. And then at the same time, God, He has given us access like my children should have with their Father. 
I mean, they can come, they can stand in front of me, they can stay, uh, sit beside me, they can sit on my lap, and they can come to me with their desires, their, their wants, and their needs. Now, if you guys tried to sit on my lap, that'd be a little bit weird, inappropriate. I might give you a little forearm to the neck, but I don't know. But God, our God, man, He never gets annoyed like we do. He never gets tired of us. He never loses his cool like I did this morning with my son. I mean, it's, it's crazy how awesome our God is. And that's the God that we get to go to. Man, if we're going to pray like the church, we need to understand the magnitude, the importance of who we're coming to. And then Solomon, he goes on. He goes on to thank God for fulfilling his promises. And he acknowledges God's power. Verse 16. And now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your son pays close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. And Solomon is coming to God with what seems like conditions, almost like a contract, but God sees it as a covenant. A covenant that is fulfilled in one son, and that is Jesus. David's kingdom fails in one sense. I mean, his heirs, his sons, they walk away from God and another dynasty takes over. But I love how God, he succeeds in protecting the line of David. And I don't know if you listened to my blogs, but when I was doing my research, I was amazed and how God used a sleepy little town like Nazareth to protect this Davidic line. Because another dynasty had taken over in Jerusalem. And as they came back from this Babylonian exile in year 100 BC, they settled there because they would have been killed if they went back to Jerusalem. Man, our God, He holds up His ends in everything, even when we fail on ours. Verse 17, Solomon, he goes on to ask God, to ask God to confirm His promises while at the same time understanding that a temple cannot contain God's greatness. God is not contained by you and I. He's not contained by this building. Nothing can contain God. He is everything and He is everywhere. And yet Solomon, and yet you and I can come to Him like a child. Verse 19, we have to regard to prayer of your servant and to His plea. Oh Lord my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you. We can come to Him, we can pray, we can plead, we can cry to our God. And, and what does Solomon pray? Verse 20, that your eyes may be open day and night towards this house. The place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to that prayer that your servant offers toward this place. Now this temple that he's praying for is no more. But after Jesus, that temple is every one of us. We are like small pockets of God's Shekinah glory in this world. Has God set His name upon you? And we no longer need a temple to worship. We no longer need this church to worship. We can directly petition God for forgiveness. We can go directly to Him. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't meet together. This is not what I'm saying at all. We should get together often. We should love to be in this place. We should worship in this place. We should pray for this church and we should pray for this building. But if this building burned down tomorrow, we would still be First Baptist Church. 
man, this building is a tool. You are His dwelling place. With Jesus, everything is greater. Jesus prefers you over a temple made of gold and cedar and fine finishes. I mean, grasp that the next time you pray. Solomon does. As he comes to God with his desires. Starting in verse 22, he prays for justice. God, he promises us that there will always be justice. And that hits home right now. When we see this world is around us. Maybe our prayers are not completely humble at this moment. I don't know. Maybe you're praying for racial equality. Maybe you're praying that our elections would be fair and that there would be a correction in them. Maybe somebody in this world or in your life has done you wrong and you're praying that they get theirs. I don't know your heart. But I'm telling you that because of God, we are free. We are free from these convictions. How powerful is it that we do not have to worry about elections? We do not have to worry about whether or not people have wronged us. We can trust that God will do what Solomon says in verse 23. Then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants. Repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. We do not have to worry. God will perfectly judge everything and everyone in this world. Which frees us to pray for things that matter like salvation, not vengeance. Man, God is the only one that sees the bigger picture. God truly understands what happened in Breonna Taylor's apartment. He truly understands what happened on election night. And God has freed us to pray from the heart. We don't have to worry about whether or not He's going to carry out perfect justice. He will. God has us covered. And then Solomon goes on. Verse 24, he prays about wars. He prays about being defeated, but he also asks for redemption and restoration. Do we pray for restoration and redemption for those we disagree with? Do we pray for restoration for those that may be addicted to drugs and alcohol? People who are defeated by the enemy, the things of the enemy. People who have turned away from God into something else. Do we pray for people that may be caught up in the rules and the law and the structure of religion? You know, some of it's easy to see. Maybe Mormonism or Jehovah Witness. But there are people, even in the evangelical church, that are caught up in these things. They're caught up in the laws instead of a relationship with Jesus. Man, do we pray for them? Do we pray for ourselves that we don't get caught up in those same things? Do we pray for people that are in prison? Do we pray for one that's even more difficult? Like a child molester. Now, I'm not saying that we need to pray that they get out of prison. I'm saying that we need to pray that they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is everything. And our God, He has a plan. And we need to trust that His plan is taking place. And God, He so desperately wants to see the hearts of His people. He wants to see us pray for those that are defeated. And I believe that He even allows you to be defeated because it's in those times that you truly understand who Jesus is. 
You can understand the magnitude of how He feeds us and how He waters us and how He gives us light and life and love. Maybe, just maybe, when the Israelites were defeated, it was a blessing. And when they were in times of plenty, it was a curse. I mean, just read Ecclesiastes and you'll get my point. Maybe we should look at Solomon's prayer a little bit different. Listen to 26 and 27 of Second Chronicles 6. The heaven is shut up, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. If they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Maybe God brings the famine to bring us closer to Him. I mean, why would He want to give us prosperity when all it does is lead us to sin against Him? What do our prayers look like in our life when everything is going right? Are they superficial? Do we trust in our own understandings? Maybe if you prove that you can still walk with God and give Him honor in times of plenty, He will send more rain. I don't know. The bottom line is where is our heart? And the Bible has always been about Jesus wanting our heart. He wants prayers from the heart. And maybe the blessing is in the famine and not in the rain. I often think that I should sell everything I own and move into a van down by the river so my kids could truly understand what it means to trust in God for their next meal. Our God, He has given us an inheritance, but maybe it's bigger than Israel. Maybe it's bigger than the United States of America. It is the true promised land. A promised land that is with Him. And I... And I believe that anything, anything that keeps us away from being focused on Him and keeps us focused on Israel or, or the United States is a curse. And it leads us away from the real promised land. Man, if that don't make you evaluate what a curse is and what a blessing is, I'm not sure what will. Verse 28, and if there's a famine in the land, if there's pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if there are enemies besieged in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, maybe COVID-19 is a blessing. I know it's not fun. I hate it, to be honest with you. But maybe, just maybe, you've leaned into Jesus more this year. Maybe you've leaned into this rest that Jesus calls us to have more this year. Maybe family means a little bit more to you this year. Maybe somebody came to Christ for the first time this year. You see, we often look at times of yesterday, yesteryear and we talk about how amazing it was to have prayer in school, to have the family unit together, to have prayer in the family. And I'm with you. I think that's so cool. And I would love to see it again. But what did we do with it? We became complacent. And we stopped going to the people. We stopped praying like the tax collector and started praying like the Pharisee. You know the parable. Luke 18, 9-14. We have these two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they're both praying. And the Pharisee prays up like this. He stands by himself and he says, God, 
I thank you that I'm not like most people. I thank you that I'm not like extortioners or the unjust or adulterers or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give my tithes. I'm a pretty cool dude. Loose translation. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. And he beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, that this man went to be justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, my prayer is that we don't stick to these holy huddles. My prayer is that we reach out to the Pharisees, because my prayer is that you're the tax collector. Have you ever prayed for persecution? I haven't. I often think that the church would thrive if we did. I mean, is our head bowed? Are we asking for forgiveness for our black-hearted wretchedness? I told you this wasn't a seeker-friendly sermon. I'm just not into attaboys and pats on the back. I believe that the church, and not just this church, I believe that the universal church must do a better job. And we are failing. I think that we need to be on our knees as the universal church and as this church praying for direction on how we do something in this community that is dying. How will God work? We must glorify His name. And we glorify Him by being in prayer. And not just that, by reaching out and having action in our communities. Man, our God will listen when we come to Him with the right heart. When we come to Him with a heart like Solomon in verse 29. Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands towards this house, then hear from heaven in your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know, whose heart you know, according to all His ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to your fathers. Man, I read that. And there is one prayer that God always answers, that He always says yes to. When somebody acknowledges their affliction and their sorrow, when somebody sees themselves as a sinner, when somebody sees themselves as needing a Savior, when any man sees himself as a sinner, and they truly have a repentant heart, and God knows the heart, and God knows, and He allows them to walk in the ways of the Lord, God will never deny that request. And I get it that we should pray for healing. I totally agree. I understand that. But what is better, healing on earth or healing for all eternity with Jesus in heaven? Maybe, just maybe, the pain in somebody's life is what brings them to Jesus. Why would we pray for that to go away? Why would we pray for a good day when maybe it's the bad day that draws us closer to Jesus? And if somebody's on drugs and alcohol... 
I'm sorry, but I pray it takes them to the bottom where all they have is to look up towards Jesus. I think that should be our prayers. I'm always going to pray for healing, and so are you. And I'm always going to believe that God is going to heal. But I believe that we should see healing so much deeper than this world. We should see it for eternity. And if God, He heals now, He has a reason to heal now. And I believe that reason is so others can come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. Man. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. This promised land. Thy kingdom come. There you go, Pastor Bill. The kingdom come is the promised land. Are we focused on that promised land and who gets to come with us? Is is that our prayers? Do we pray for those that are foreigners like Solomon says in verse 32? People that are outside the faith. Man, when I look at this Bible, the reason that my sermons every time are the exact same is because every time I look at this Bible, I see Jesus. I see people that are needing Jesus. And I see people that have Jesus and that should act like Jesus. And I believe that's all that really matters. And I think so many people, they want me to lay out a a four-step plan on what what it's like to pray and how they should pray. And here you go. Number one, the Bible. The Bible tells us to pray and to acknowledge God's vastness. Is that how you begin your prayers? And then he tells us to be thankful for everything in our life, good and bad. Is that how we pray? And then he says, ask for forgiveness, you wretched sinners. And then he says, pour out your heart. Number four, for those that are sick physically, mentally, and especially spiritually. I mean, can you imagine a church that was down on their knees and prayed that together as a church and then lived that as the church? Man, if we're going to live as the church, prayer is so important. It is so much a part of this battle that we are in. And prayer should be part of the action. And we must go to battle. Verse 34, if, if your people go out to battle against their enemies... By whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you towards the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Do we go to battle for Jesus? I mean, prayer is our contact with our leader while we fight this battle. Do we run every situation to our commander? I mean, we're not in a battle against other people. We're in a battle against the evil around us. And we are trying so hard to convert those to our side, to Jesus' side. And these are just people who have sinned. They are sinners like you and I. And they're in the hands of the enemy. And we so desperately want to bring them over. And why do you preach this way all the time, Pastor Zach? And I think it's because I watch too many Braveheart and Gladiator movies. But I so desperately want men and women to be courageous for Jesus. What would a church look like if we were constantly focused on attacking and freeing people from the bondage of the enemy? And we've already been told that we can succeed at this. Our God dwells in us. We have already won. We have Jesus. Then Solomon, he finishes his prayer starting in verse 41. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, 
You and the ark of your might. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. This entire message I've been relating the temple to us, to to Christ followers. Is Jesus resting in you? Is His might in you? Are you clothed in salvation? And do you rejoice and produce goodness because of it? Man, Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. When we are Jesus's, we take the name of Jesus. We take on His name. We are anointed. We are set apart. We have access. And God's steadfast love for Jesus overflows to every one of us. Man, that's a a powerful thing that I sometimes think we take for granted. And we cannot talk about prayer without addressing God's answer. I mean, how are we to know God's answer if we're not looking for it? And now I get it. Not all answers to prayer are quite like God does in 2 Chronicles 7.1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and then the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Maybe not exactly, but have you ever noticed the energy of a new believer as the Holy Spirit consumes them down from heaven and sets their soul on fire? Man, it is so easy to see the glory of God radiating from that person. And I see it in so many people in this room. I look around and I have no doubt that people in this room have the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. But my question for us is if we released the Holy Spirit to work at its full capacity. Man, do people look at you and and do they see the glory of the Lord radiating from you? Is your life a worship to God? Is your life a sacrifice to God? God's love, it endures forever. Will you endure with Him? Do we sing songs of praise? Do we pray in God's will? Do we preach boldly in His name? Do we give God what is His? Not just once, but over and over again because God's love consumes us. Prayer, it's how we talk to God. And next week, we're going to see how God talks to us. And and Solomon, right here at the end, as we finish, Solomon hears an audible voice, a reply from God, starting at 7.12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and then have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God cares about his people. And how do we define heal our land? I believe that this verse is talking about God's people. He will do it every time. And that God has a different idea of what it means to heal their land. God sees the land ultimately healed. We only see the right now. So maybe, 
just maybe, in order to truly have a healed land, we have to first listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And during that time, some people will humble themselves and come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. Maybe it means that this land, this United States, needs to be in shambles. Maybe it means that there needs to be persecution in the United States. It means that there are wars and rumors of wars. It means that other nations will rise against us. It means that there will be famines. It means that there will be earthquakes and pains and sufferings. Maybe it means that there will be death and betrayal and lawlessness. But in all of that, people will come to Christ and they will endure to the end. Maybe it needs we just to pray for enough bread to make it through the day. Maybe we need to pray for forgiveness for those who have wronged us. Maybe in all this chaos around us, we pray that we will hold strong to the Lord in all of it. Maybe instead of praying for the United States to be healed, we pray for our real citizenship in heaven to come upon us and God's will to be done. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for turmoil. I thank you for persecution. I thank you for chaos. I thank you for elections that are rigged. I thank you for times of no rain. I thank you that you are our God, even in those moments. And when things are going bad in our life, Lord, I thank you that we have nowhere else to turn but to you. Lord, I thank you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and all of that. That there is a promised land promised us this. That there is a healed land promised us. That there is a kingdom come. And I pray that that would be our focus and not this world that we live in now. That we'd be focused on those people that still need to know you. And that we would humble ourselves each day. And that we'd see ourselves not as Pharisees, but as tax collectors, needing a Savior and leaning into you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.